Hello and welcome to the Kind Mind Podcast. This is Todd Fink. It is Thanksgiving night, so I hope you've had a beautiful time with family and friends. And it's an opportunity for me to say thank you for listening, for supporting this podcast. And I'd also like to thank my parents, my family, friends, my teachers, all those that have inspired and encouraged me. I'm grateful for the opportunity to connect and share with you. This episode is about understanding higher balance and the idea that outer equilibrium may depend on inner equanimity. Equanimity comes from Latin as two parts. Equus means even or leveled and animus meant the mind or the spirit. So I share some ancient steps for cultivating mental balance, which can be challenging in modern life because we are surrounded by a cult of busyness. And Americans today leave an estimated collective 650 million unused vacation days on the table annually, with an overall economic impact of approximately $236 billion. From childhood, the pressure to compete, to achieve, succeed, and stay productive is now so strong. Combine that with the fear of missing out, and how can people, especially young people, justify just sitting in meditation or sauntering in nature? I'm really concerned about young people in our society. I read a disturbing article recently about how more young people are dying. Part of it is due to suicide, part of it is due to drug overdose. I think this topic is relevant. I think it's harder for people in this world to find or create balance. I read a good quote that balance is not better time management, but better boundary management. Balance means making choices and enjoying those choices. I also think about a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson. People with great gifts are easy to find, but symmetrical and balanced ones never. So I think this is what young people are up against. This intense pressure to be great at something, and I think many people understand that you have to be entrepreneurial to survive in this economic landscape. But that can often lead to people feeling like important or meaningful areas of their life are neglected. I wanted to add that the body has its own equilibrium that it strives for, a homeostasis. For example, we have a blood pressure that fluctuates, but it hovers around some ideal, some target. We have a body temperature that goes up and down depending on functioning of the body, the health of the body, and the environment. And for the most part, the body can achieve homeostasis on its own, but sometimes it needs additional support. For example, our body cannot always get back to 98.6 degrees if it's outdoors in a very harsh, cold climate. So we may have to support homeostasis by putting on a coat and hat and gloves and so on. Similarly, the equanimity of mind 
sometimes needs the support of meditation. And for that, we may need some guidance and some training. It may not just come automatically. In the Vedic scriptures of India, there is three qualities of nature. They are known as the three gunas. They are tamas, rajas, and sattvas. Tamas means dull, lethargic, dark. And then rajas means active, energized, dynamic. When it applies to the human being, it could be anxious, restless, ambitious, or excited, happy. And then sattva refers to purity, calmness. And the spiritual aspirant then tries to gain mastery over these three qualities and abide more in the peaceful state. And there are techniques and practices and diets and virtues to support that state of being. Ultimately, balance refers to two things. The BA evolved from by, And in the case of equanimity or evenness of mind, that requires an outlook that is non-judgmental towards good and bad, not attached to likes and repelled by dislikes. And having equal vision leads to evenness of mind. So I hope you enjoy this episode, this Thanksgiving night, as it is still the National Gratitude Month. You might be interested in a previous episode called Growing Grateful. So if you'd like to learn more about the science of the grateful brain, feel free to check that out. There will be another Kind Mind gathering at the Hyatt Regency in Lyle, Illinois on December 12th at 7 p.m. It'll be the third meeting in that space. We've had a really great experience connecting with people and networking and getting to know one another. And if you'd like to support this work, you can do so at michaeltodfink.com forward slash support and keep in touch on social media at michaeltodfink on Facebook and Instagram. And now, on to this episode. In yoga, there is a kind of breath for balance. It's called alternate nostril breathing. This breathing is sort of like a rainbow. You breathe in one nostril, out the other, then back in that nostril, and out the other. And if you check right now, your two nostrils, you'll find that one side has an easier flow. Throughout the day, it alternates sides, and according to yogic philosophy, it also follows your mood, and it follows nature. So around sunset, it tends to equalize, and around sunrise, it tends to be equal. But if it's more on the left, the philosophy goes that a person feels a little bit more tired, or low energy, lethargic, or dull. If it's more on the right side, you might feel a little more energized or active or whatever emotions are associated with higher energy, anger, excitement. 
happiness, enthusiasm. And if it's equal pressure, which it rarely is, there is a type of balance, an equilibrium, a calmness. And we'll practice this together. So the way that they practice this in yoga is you take your thumb and the pinky and ring finger and you use those to press the nose. Now, this posture is called a mudra, the way you hold your hand, it means posture. And the reason to do it is just simply to give you something to focus on, to make it more into a ritual than just something mechanical that you do quickly. You block the right nostril with your thumb of your right hand and take a deep breath in through the left nostril. Then close that nostril with your pinky and ring finger and exhale through the right nostril. Then breathe in through that nostril. Close the right with the thumb. Exhale out the left. Inhale on the left. Close. Exhale through the right. Inhale through the right. Close. Exhale the left. One more time. Inhale through the left. Close. Exhale through the right. Then you can breathe normally. And I thought that'd be a nice way to begin to help us feel a little bit more balanced, just to be able to focus and be present and give ourselves the gift of being here, being together, being part of a community and taking time for our own growth and connection with like-minded people. Some years ago, there was some kind of fable or parable circulating among business graduate schools. It would have been helpful for me when I was spending a year in the business school at Georgetown. But I do remember talking to one of my accounting professors and he would often say, if you're going to go to New York, which I had thought about a little bit because lots of my friends had gone to New York. He said, you're going to have to decide between working long hours for a lot of money or working less hours for less money. So the trade-off is time or money. Either you can have your time in New York, but you won't have money. Or you can have money, but you won't have any time. <laughs> and this story that I'm going to tell you probably would have spoken to that. We had our own stories. He had his own stories, but this one I, I saw recently. It's about an American businessman who goes down to Mexico for a much-needed vacation. Very busy guy. He goes to a little coastal village, and while he's relaxing on the beach, he sees a little boat come in and dock, and one fisherman get off that boat. And he compliments the fisherman on his catch. He says, how long did it take you to catch those fish? Fisherman says, not long. He said, then why didn't you stay out longer? The fisherman says, because it's enough to provide for my family. So the American says, well, then what do you do with the rest of your day? How do you spend your time? He said, I like to sleep in. <laughs> and uh, then I fish a little. And then I play with my kids. I take a nap. I spend time with my wife. 
in the evening, I like to stroll into the village, have some drinks, visit some friends, play my guitar, sing some songs. I have a full life. The American says, look, I got an MBA from an Ivy League school in, in the United States. I can help you. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what you should do. Spend more time fishing, my friend. And, and he's like, and then what? He's like, then you sell the, that extra fish until you can buy a bigger boat. Fisherman says, what do I do with the bigger boat? He's like, with the proceeds from the bigger boat, you eventually buy several boats and you hire people to do the work for you. And the fisherman's like, then what? And he's like, then you move your family to Mexico City or who knows, maybe even New York City. But from there, you negotiate directly with the processing plants, cut out the middlemen. And he's like, and then what? Well, then the fun begins. Then you grow your business. When it's big enough, you announce an IPO. <laughs> <laughs> and you sell stock in your company. And you make millions. You become rich. And the fisherman says, so how long will all this take? The American businessman says, oh, well, maybe 20, 25 years. And then the fisherman says, and, and then what? Like, then you can retire to a coastal village. <laughs> Sleep in late, fish a little, <laughs> play with your grandkids, take a nap, spend time with your wife. In the evening, you can stroll into the village, have some drinks, see some friends, play some songs. <laughs> this isn't meant to be a criticism of business. I think in the school, it's meant to help kids think about what do you really want? So often, Americans don't know what they want. They just know the culture of busyness, the culture of chase, the culture of uh, materialism. And often when you don't know what you want, you know that you might as well just try to make as much money as you can because that will afford you the opportunity to keep changing your mind. <laughs> but what if you do know what you want? It reminds me of something the Dalai Lama once said. People spend the first half of their life sacrificing their health for wealth and then the second half of their life sacrificing their wealth to get their health back. Tonight, I just want to reflect with you about higher balance and just having a better sense of not just what we want out of life, because I think we hear that all the time, actually. What do you want out of life? But beyond that, reversing that statement or that question, instead of just asking, what do I want out of life? Going deeper and asking, what does life want out of me? Meaning, what's my higher balance? What's my purpose? So uh, this word, balance, it comes from Latin. The B, the balance was by, to, and the lance part comes from lanx or libra, which meant scales or two pans. And so balance is about finding an equilibrium. Even this word equilibrium contains the word libra. And it just so happens, it's a coincidence, I wasn't thinking about this months ago when I picked this topic. <laughs> right. <laughs> that 
Today is the last day of Libra in the zodiac. In ancient times, when Libra was named in the sky, it began on the equinox, September 22nd. And on the equinox, the autumnal equinox, the sun moving from northern hemisphere to southern hemisphere on the equator, there is equal parts day and night. And in spiritual cultures around the world, that was an auspicious occasion. It was a symbol of spiritual balance, balancing the light and the dark forces within oneself. Libra is my sign also, so I had a birthday this month. This is the only sign that is an inanimate object, the scales. In the constellation, the right side is a little lower. Maybe it means that the world is not balanced yet. And so Librans, maybe they're inclined towards justice. I don't know, but it's a coincidence that we are here on the last night of Libra and we're talking about balance. Any thoughts about what makes modern life hard to balance? Yeah, there's just so many more things competing for our attention on the phones. And we have to have money for all this stuff. and We have to have time. And so where do we get it? And also the money that we once had isn't the same today. I was just reading from the Pew Research Center that the average salary of four dollars and three cents in 1973 is the same had the same buying power as twenty three dollars and seventy six cents today. Isn't that wild? When you account for inflation. Anyways, there's a lot that we got to spend on, and there's a lot of time that we need to keep up with all this stuff that requires our attention. What else? I don't know about you, but I just do not feel like there's enough hours in the day. I want to be in nature, but it's just like, where do the hours go? Yet, I, when I get my, my report of screen time, somehow I fit that in. So. <laughs> no. It keeps going down, which I'm proud of with, with that. But yeah, time in nature. Anything else? Yeah, a lot of different roles, and sometimes we get stripped of those roles. Like when we lose a job, or when an industry changes, or when a job goes to automation, or when we lose a loved one, or when we go through a breakup or a divorce. It's like, who am I now? I, I thought I was the other, or I thought I was the, that worker. And so I described this recently like analogy that I came across I think is the best I've ever heard for transitions. It's that life is like a series of trapeze swings and at any one moment you're hanging onto one either comfortably or you're hanging onto it for dear life and swinging along with some sense of control and then eventually you see up ahead another empty swing is coming towards you and you know deep down that that one has your name on it. But as much as you wish you could stay with this one and grab that one, you know that even if you could, you can't go forward. 
And if you don't take that one, you're just going to end up going backwards. You'll get nowhere. You know that you have to release completely and hurdle through the space of uncertainty until you're on the next swing, right? And culturally, this space is a no place. It's a non-space, that leap of faith. Um, and so we either rush through it or we do everything we can to avoid the void. But that space is the transition. And, in, and for the trapeze artist, that's where the magic actually happens, not in the swinging, but in the space. And so I think that the transition, that's the real space, or it's closer to reality than the bars. The bars are illusions that we dream up to have an identity. And so in the Tao Te Ching, which I brought, Lao Tzu says, those who define themselves can't know themselves. We're constantly trying to hang on to one of these bars we dreamed up because then it's like, oh, now I don't have to worry about self-inquiry. When you take that away, it's like, who am I? Everyone wants to rush through that because the way the culture is designed is you, you got to be on a bar. You got to be stable in a relationship. You got to be stable in a career. You got to be somebody. But spiritual life really isn't about being somebody. It's not about becoming anything. It's about unbecoming. It's about unbecoming all the non-self. So when people ask me, well, then who are we? You're more like the space that one hurdles to. That's where you really fly, though. As scary as it is, you fly in that space when you remove all of the uh, layers. It'll happen. I mean, it's going to happen to all of us that will... For the most part, we're swinging, and then occasionally, you know, we're hurtling. <laughs> Since we have the, the support around us, let's not rush through it. Let's savor the transition, because that actually prepares a person for the ultimate transition, you know, because life is short here, and everything's impermanent. And so we can hold on and cling to things, but it's more painful than when you come to that next swing. To achieve deeper or higher balance over the course of our life, there is a prescription in yogic philosophy called the qualities of the seeker or the sixfold treasure. It's called Shat Sampat. And I'll just narrate these six because I think they're very powerful and important in the philosophy of yoga, or the practice of balancing one's life and energy. The first one is called shama, which means calmness. It's important if you want to have balance in life or balance of mind to actually practice the art of being calm, to actually make it something that you value in life. I don't think calmness is a cultural value, really. Some amount of aggression is quite common. But calmness means to have your energy in a stable condition, to value that, to practice that, and then to go about your business. Calmness is not the same as laziness. Calmness is not about being unproductive. The second one is Dhamma. Dhamma means sense control or balance of the five senses. 
The word for food in Sanskrit is ahara, which means anything that you can take in. So it re referred to what you eat, but what you see is also called ahara. What you listen to is also called ahara. And if you're familiar with Ashtanga Yoga or the eight limbs of yoga, the fifth limb is Pratyahara. Ahara being food or what we take into the senses and Pratya meaning withdraw, withdrawing the senses, turning the senses inward. Dhamma means to gain some mastery over the five senses. It doesn't mean to deny your, yourself anything. It just means not to be attached, not to be attached to what you eat what you see, what you listen to. Because once you're attached, you're be you become a slave to whatever it is that the person's craving. And then you're not free, you're not balanced. So there's nothing wrong with seeing, touching, tasting, any of these things. It's just about having some amount of balance. The third one is called uparati. It's loosely translated into duty, having a sense of duty. Like, what am I here to do? How am I here to help? Simple way to get better at this is take a piece of paper, make it into a trifold. On the left side, put all the things that you're naturally good at or interested in. Make a list. These are my talents. These are my strengths. These are my qualities. These are God-given gifts. On the right column, make a list of all the things you care about in the world, all the causes that matter to you, everything that's dear to your heart. And in the middle, bring them together. <laughs> How do I use my gifts then in the middle to make a difference with the things on the right? That's uparati. Upa means to be near. So another definition of uparati is to be near goodness. And then uh, the fourth one, titiksha. Tatiksha loosely means endurance, tolerance. It's about not overreacting when things aren't the way you expect. When the temperature is a little too warm, a little too cold, people complain. So don't complain, complain. Become plain. Learn to tolerate unexpected things. If you want to be a yogi, you have to be Still, like the image of these great yogis in the Himalayas sitting in the snow, undisturbed. I'm not saying we can be like that tomorrow, but little things we can overcome. Little things we can practice rising above, transcending those things. Let so many things become just petty and shed them, shed them all, and your mind will spontaneously go on to higher things, higher balance. Shraddha is the next one. Shraddha means faith. Usually it means faith in one's teacher, confidence that this person can guide me. But ultimately it means trust. When you have no trust or you can't trust, life is miserable. Those of you who have had your trust betrayed probably know this. When I work with patients sometimes in the hospital, they have a hard time trusting people because their trust has been violated. And when someone close to us betrays our trust, then it really throws our boundaries all out of whack. We either build big walls or we don't trust anybody. 
um, or we have no boundaries at all, very porous boundaries where we're like, well, screw it then, you know? I trusted people and they, people aren't trustworthy, so I don't care anymore, just whatever. It's like, it's sort of like if I don't keep my doors locked, then people don't have to break in and it won't be violent anymore. So I can understand that, but both are unhealthy. And sometimes people with like bipolar disorder or borderline personality disorder, they'll have like walls in the morning and no boundaries in the evening. It'll just bounce all around, but they'll never come to the middle, the balance. Or like the Buddha said, the middle path. The middle path is like a good fence. Robert Frost said, good fences make good neighbors. So if you want some balance, you have to find a way to trust life again. But ultimately, it isn't about having faith in life, having faith in your teacher. It's really about trusting yourself, growing trust in yourself through self-discipline, self-inquiry. Goethe said that once you trust yourself, you'll know how to live. I think it's wise. And then the last one is Samadana, which means equanimity. So, Shama, Dhamma, Uparati, Titiksha, Shraddha. Samadana, equanimity, means balance of mind. This is really like the higher balance that I'm talking about tonight. Equanimity is not about having a balanced environment. It's about having a balanced response in the mind. So no matter what's going on in the environment, the person doesn't get too high or too low. My teacher once told me that samadhi or the state of realization of the yogi isn't really anything beyond having equanimity consistently. He even said it like this, if you could be cheerful all the time, you would enter into samadhi. That doesn't mean you don't care about things. It doesn't mean like you're not trying to help just means you never get consumed again by negativity. You never get swallowed up again by the darkness. You're able to remain steady. Equanimity can be practiced in daily life with all the things that we go through. And the simple way to think about it is be cheerful. Try to be cheerful. Try to stay positive and try to bring that positivity to every interaction everyone you meet, meditate and let that be the passive form of your equanimity. Of course, when I'm sitting and breathing deeply, I can get calm. But it's when I get up and face my family and face my colleagues and, and clients and people and the world and the news that I lose it. The real meditation then, the active meditation is in your daily life. So those are the six steps to higher balance. It's a path of shedding. So no matter what's going on in the external world, you're getting more and more in tune with truth. Also, if you think of balance with the clock, like the grandfather clock has pendulum, okay? And in politics and in the world, we have sides and there's a pendulum. There's a pendulum in our life. There's a pendulum in the world. 
And what we don't realize is that when the pendulum swings to the right, it's actually building up momentum to go to the left. It angers people when it goes either way. But I think with a mind more tuned to equanimity, you can see that. You can see why the pendulum is going this way, and you can see that it, although it's going that way, it's building momentum to go the other way. You're less overwhelmed by it because you see the bigger picture. In our life, though, we have to catch ourselves jumping to the right or to the left. Because when you go right or go left, internally, you're building up momentum to go the other way. To love somebody, to partner with somebody, also builds the momentum to be extremely angry, resentful, or bitter. I think we can pay attention to this pendulum in our heart, you know, how it's swinging. We want to try to find that stillness where our fluctuations are not as wide as they used to be. And so our pendulum in our heart can start to slow down and come to stillness. In Buddhism, the Buddha was saying in the Four Noble Truths that the imbalance is all caused by desire. So he said, life is suffering, truth one. Suffering is caused by desire. Desire can be removed, and you remove it through his Eightfold Path. In the Eightfold Path of Buddhism, everyone is about right this, right that. But really, he means balance this, balanced action, balanced effort, balanced mind. All about balance, okay? But this root desire leads into all of the other emotional problems. This isn't to say, like, don't want anything in your life. It's about desire that just, like, goes unchecked. Just as there's those six steps to balance, there's also six steps to hell, so to speak. And it all starts with desire. In the Bhagavad Gita, six vices to avoid. Kama, Krodha, Lobha, Moha, Mada, Matsarya. And Kama means desire or passion. Not just like ordinary want, but like attachment, longing, craving. Now, the rest stem or grow out of that root. Kama is the root, because if you don't get what you want, you get krodha, which is anger. So anger comes from not getting your desires fulfilled. If you do get your desires fulfilled, they don't go away. You want more of that, you know. You start having this every day, and then it becomes a habit. Habit, 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 which is this third one, lobha, which means greed. We see some people get just totally overwhelmed by greed. And in the world, it's the forces of greed that create the imbalance in the society, the gross inequality of wealth, and so on. If you can almost get what you want, what you desire, like a person or a thing, or when it's just there but out of reach, you get moha, which is infatuation. You're obsessed with that thing or person. When you have a desire and you fulfill that desire, and it's not just a thing like food, it's an achievement, and you fulfill that desire, you get pride, mada. Pride is vanity. Pride is unattractive. You hear people take all the credit for things that they did, even though it requires a million 
cooperations of nature and people to achieve anything. And then you desire something or someone and you don't get it, but your friend gets it, then what? Jealousy, matsarya. All these negative emotions come from the root one, desire. That's why Buddha said desire is the root. Just deal with that and you don't have to worry about managing your anger and your envy and you know, your pride and all that. Through that sixfold treasure I was talking about, simplify your life. It's not about not having things. Purify your wants. Refine your wants. I wanted to share a few things from the Tao Te Ching, which is all about balance, because you've seen this symbol before, right? This symbol is about balance. This manuscript was written 2,500 years ago, and it's all about balancing the opposing forces of nature. So you have verses like this. When people see some things as beautiful, other things become ugly. You go this way, it has to go this way. When people see some things as good, other things become bad. Being and non-being create each other. You build um, a room, and we use the non-room to sit and talk in. You know, the walls are just there, but we're in the space. Difficult and easy support each other. Long and short define each other. High and low depend on each other. Before and after follow each other. Therefore, the master acts without doing anything and teaches without saying anything. Things arise and she lets them come. Things disappear and she lets them go. She has but doesn't possess, acts but doesn't expect. When her work is done, she forgets it. That is why it lasts forever. Beautiful. And there's a couple others. The heavy is the root of the light. The unmoved is the source of all movement. Why should the lord of the country flit about like a fool? If you let yourself be blown to and fro, you lose touch with your root. If you let restlessness move you, you lose touch with who you are. So that's what I'm talking about with eventually bringing the pendulum to stillness in your heart. A good traveler has no fixed plans and is not intent upon arriving. A good artist lets his intuition lead him wherever it wants. A good scientist has freed himself of concepts and keeps his mind open to what is. Thus the master is available to all people and doesn't reject anyone. He's ready to use all situations and doesn't waste anything. This is called embodying the light. What is a good man but a bad man's teacher? What is a bad man but a good man's job? If you don't understand this, you will get lost, however intelligent you are. It is the great secret. There's a couple others I wanted to share with you before we conclude. He who stands on tiptoe doesn't stand firm. He who rushes ahead doesn't go far. He who tries to shine dims his own light. He who defines himself can't know who he really is. As we were talking about with the transitions, when we grab onto a bar, we've really lost ourselves. He who has power over others can't empower himself. He who clings to his work will create nothing that endures. If you want to accord with the Tao, just do your job, then let go. And I'll finish with just a very short story about a Taoist master. There was a village that hadn't had any rain for months, and the villagers couldn't farm, so they contacted a Taoist master, 
they said, could you please come to our village and bless us and maybe you can bring the rain? He didn't say yes or no to that, but he agreed to come to their village. He said, I just need a little hut and a small garden to tend to while I'm there. So for three days, he kept silent, took care of the garden. And on the fourth day, it rained on the parched earth. The villagers came to him and they said, how did you achieve this miracle? He said, I can't take any responsibility for the rain. But when I arrived, I noticed some disharmony in myself. So I worked on that for those three days. And on the fourth day, naturally it rained. (laughs) And that's the end of the story. I kind of think it means that when you work on the inner harmony, things take care of themselves. He's not laying claim to the rain, although when things are balanced inside, they are balanced outside. My teacher told me everything you see in the world goes through your mind. You know, you've felt aggression, you've felt anger, you've felt passion, you've, you know, felt all the things that grow throughout the world and lead to all these problems. We haven't uprooted them in our own mind. So one person's balance of mind or one person's inner peace or one person's spiritual growth is a great gift to the society. It may seem on the surface, you know, like, selfish, but really it makes the world a better place. You know, if I'm in harmony, who knows what happens when one person really takes care of the disharmony within their own heart. Even just sitting here, we can practice this sixfold treasure. We can be calm. We can turn the senses inward. We can stay focused on just being present. We can practice tolerance. Maybe there's some pain in the body, or maybe like me, my body is a little warm in the sweater. I can tolerate it. We can trust ourselves in this moment. We can trust life in this moment, which just simply means we can let go of all resistance. And we can practice equanimity. The forces of chaos inspire people to really think about what peace would look like. So please draw your attention to your breathing. Follow your inhalation, follow your exhalation. Watch your breath as if you're watching the pendulum. Coming in one way builds all the momentum for it to go the other way. This is the rhythm of our life, of our mind, of the world. 